This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is Friday, March 13th, 2020. On this day in 1957, labor leader Jimmy Hoffa was arrested by the FBI on charges of bribery. It was one of the first battles Hoffa faced against his sworn foe, Robert F. Kennedy. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Today we're covering the FBI's arrest of Jimmy Hoffa for bribery. Let's go back to the evening of March 13, 1957, as Washington, D.C. was slowly going to sleep. Forty-four-year-old James Jimmy Hoffa sat in his DuPont Plaza hotel room, impatiently waiting to meet with John Chiesty. A lawyer and ex-Secret Service agent, 49-year-old John Chiesty was in between careers when he agreed to work for Hoffa on an important mission, spy on the government's investigation into labor management corruption. Since January 1957, Senator McClellan had been leading an investigation into improper and criminal dealings within labor management. Jimmy Hoffa and Dave Beck, the two leaders of the Teamsters Union, were major targets of the probe. Hoffa needed insight into what the government was uncovering, so he hired Chiesty to join the committee. And Chiesty was proving to be worth every penny. Just last night, on March 12th, Chiesty had brought Hoffa valuable information, namely the government's findings on Teamster President Dave Beck's financial records. As Hoffa poured over the documents in the back of a taxi, Chiesty told his boss that he would have even more the next night. Hoffa was thrilled. Back in his hotel room, Hoffa looked at his watch and figured it was time. He grabbed his jacket and made his way down to the hotel lobby. Looking through the hustle of late-night guests checking in, he saw Chiesty waiting outside. A few steps from the entrance, Hoffa nodded hello and saw a package in Chiesty's hands. A smile crept across Hoffa's face. The exchange was quick. Hoffa bade Chiesty goodnight and made his way back into the hotel. He couldn't wait to get back to his room and read whatever was inside the package. But he'd never get the chance. Hoffa hadn't made it 10 feet into the lobby before he was suddenly surrounded by FBI agents. After a moment of stunned horror, Hoffa assessed the situation and raised his hands in the air. There was no point resisting, not now. He'd go quietly to a D.C. courthouse. But he was seething. As Hoffa waited for his late-night arraignment, he stared daggers at his sworn enemy, Robert F. Kennedy. 
Kennedy was the McClellan Committee's chief counsel, and he, for his part, was grinning. He'd waited for this day a long time, seeing Hoffa in cuffs. Hoffa couldn't take that grin. He started shouting across the room. Kennedy needed to mind his own business. It was late and both men should be in bed. It was crazy that the two of them were up at this hour over a bunch of nonsense. Kennedy just laughed at first, but it wasn't long before the two were throwing barbs at one another. Eventually, the insults landed on the question of strength, literally. Hoffa claimed he could do 35 push-ups. Kennedy responded that he could beat that easily. This odd scene went on all night. Hoffa wasn't arraigned until 2 a.m. the next morning. When he finally reappeared on the courthouse steps, a cluster of reporters was in attendance and dying to hear from the boisterous union leader. Hoffa didn't disappoint. He proudly proclaimed his innocence to the crowd and insinuated that every labor leader is forced to defend themselves against unjust claims of corruption. Hoffa felt confident that he was going to beat whatever trumped-up charges old Bobby Kennedy would throw his way. He was dying to see Kennedy's smug smile fade when he walked out a free man. Meanwhile, Kennedy was anxious to bring Hoffa to justice. The case he'd built against both Hoffa and Dave Beck was solid. He was certain that both of their convictions would be quick. When asked by a reporter what he would do should Hoffa get acquitted, Kennedy reportedly said he'd jump off the Capitol dome. A few months later, Hoffa walked out of the courthouse again, watching Kennedy's smug smile slowly fade. He had been acquitted on all charges. Coming up, more on the battle between Jimmy Hoffa and Robert Kennedy. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. On March 13, 1957, Jimmy Hoffa, the vice president of the Teamsters Union and a rising star of the labor movement, was arrested by the FBI on charges of bribery. His arrest was part of the government's investigation into corrupt labor management, an investigation which put Hoffa squarely in the crosshairs of a promising young lawyer, Robert F. Kennedy. James Riddle Hoffa's path always pointed towards labor management. Growing up in the Rust Belt, surrounded by the working class, Hoffa knew what it was like for hard-working Americans to survive during and after the Great Depression. At a young age, he dropped out of school and got a job working at the Detroit docks. He was still a teenager when he organized his first labor strike. Next, his outspoken attitude towards workers' rights got him noticed by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. He was invited to join, despite not being a Teamster. 
Founded in 1903, the IBT dedicated itself to fighting for the working conditions of Teamsters, that is, truck drivers who shuttled cattle around the country. Teamsters were vital in keeping the bridge between rural and urban life, and it didn't take them long to gain power and influence. That power and influence attracted criminals, namely organized crime. When Prohibition ended, the Mafia was looking for new rackets, and labor management quickly became a lucrative arena. The Teamsters were willing to cut deals with various prominent organized criminals. For the good of the union, Hoffa had no problem getting his hands dirty with Detroit gangsters. And the Teamsters themselves didn't mind. By 1952, Hoffa had secured the position of vice president in their union. The organization respected Hoffa's aggressive tactics when it came to contract negotiations. Many believed that it was only a matter of time before he replaced newly elected president Dave Beck. But in the years of his ascent within the union, Hoffa's corruption and the corruption of the labor management as a whole caught the attention of a young prosecutor, a man who was also looking to make a name for himself, Robert F. Kennedy. The seventh of nine Kennedy children, Robert knew that if he was ever going to be more than just John's brother, he would have to stand out in his own way. Robert ultimately chose to go after labor corruption. Hoffa and Beck's names were at the top of Robert's list of suspect union leaders. He made it his mission to bring both men to justice. At the beginning of 1957, Congress unanimously approved the creation of a committee to investigate labor management corruption. Its main focus was on the powerful Teamsters Union. Robert Kennedy would be the committee's chief counselor and investigator. Hoffa wasn't unduly alarmed by all this. He never cared for Robert and considered him a naive softy. Hoffa grew up on the mean streets of Detroit, while Kennedy spent his childhood on the pampered lanes of Brookline, Massachusetts. Surely Hoffa could pull one over on Robert. Teamster president Dave Beck wouldn't be so lucky. He was forced to hand over his financial records and was almost certainly going to go down. But Hoffa had no intention of falling with him. He'd get all the information on this investigation that he could, and then he'd beat it in court. First, that entailed hiring a spy, 49-year-old John Chiesty. Chiesty agreed to get a job with the committee and send Hoffa information on the investigation. Hoffa would pay Chiesty $2,000 a month for nine months. But Hoffa didn't count on Chiesty flipping. The day after agreeing to work with Hoffa, Chiesty met with Kennedy and told him about Hoffa's plan. Kennedy couldn't believe a bribery case fell into his lap, along with a convenient double agent. The sting lasted less than a month. On March 13th, the FBI arrested Hoffa in Washington, D.C. on charges of bribery. With Chiesty's testimony, Kennedy was sure that Hoffa would go down. And once Hoffa was behind bars, it wouldn't be long before Beck followed. Only six months into the committee's existence, and Kennedy was gearing up for a major victory. 
Except that victory didn't come, at least not when it came to Hoffa. In July 1957, Hoffa was acquitted on the Chiesti bribery charges. According to jury members interviewed after the trial, they simply didn't believe Chiesti's testimony. Despite Dave Beck's conviction for grand larceny and embezzlement, Kennedy wasn't able to put Hoffa away. In fact, later in 1957, Hoffa was elected to replace Beck as president of the Teamsters. In the subsequent two years of the McClellan Committee, Hoffa beat whatever charges came his way. By 1959, Kennedy was exhausted and frustrated. He resigned from the committee. But Robert got some rejuvenation in 1960 when his brother, John, was elected president of the United States. Robert was appointed attorney general, and with this new power, he reignited his war on labor corruption as well as the mafia. Finally, in March 1964, Hoffa was convicted for bribery and jury tampering. Three months later, he was convicted of misappropriating union funds. After three years of appeals, Hoffa began serving a 13-year prison sentence. Kennedy rode the success of the case into the 1968 presidential election. He was on his way to securing the Democratic nomination when he was assassinated on June 5, 1968, leaving Republican Richard Nixon to win the Oval Office, from which, in 1971, he commuted Jimmy Hoffa's prison sentence. Hoffa seemed, in the end, to have come out on top. A free man once more, he worked to re-establish his power in the Teamsters' union. But in the process, he made enemies everywhere he went, until 1975, when he disappeared without a trace. He was officially declared dead in 1982. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. For more on Jimmy Hoffa, check out the Gone episode documenting his disappearance. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Anthony Valsic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Joe Guerra, with writing assistance by Nora Battelle. I'm Vanessa Richardson.